Shooters Connection offers products for competition shooters by competition shooters. With over 80 years of combined competition shooting experience, Shooters Connection is staffed by master and grandmaster shooters who live the shooting sports every day. Every day. We offer same-day shipping. Shooters Connection also sponsors over 100 of your matches every single year. So when it comes to finding everything you need to compete as a beginner or a seasoned grandmaster, Shooters Connection is the only name you need to know. Online at ShootersConnectionStore.com. Welcome back to the Hit Factor. We have myself, Jeremy, back after a week hiatus, and we have Jeff with us again who's preparing for his – oh, he's already got his Fireball Classic run prepped for yeah. his 5k tomorrow on the 4th That's of right. july tomorrow morning we're going for a new pr which would be uh like sub 28 okay Hi. yeah you got you got a number to beat that's all that matters yeah yeah most of the time i don't get much training in for it so at least i've run a little bit this time like a quarter mile yeah, at least a quarter. <laughs> we also have uh, Mr. Scott Brown with us as well uh, from Kansas City, right? Yep, Kansas City, Missouri. You actually live in Kansas City? Yes. Is Are there like a bunch of suburbs and stuff around Kansas City? Uh, yeah, they're, Kansas City is kind of uh, generalized into a big area that leads into like the Kansas side and Leewood Overland Park, but... It's a it's a pretty big city. I live okay. in the southern parts of it. Awesome. So Scott is probably one of the hottest up and coming shooters in USPSA currently. He's did you just turn eighteen? I'm seventeen turning eighteen in three months. Eighteen in three months. Okay. So this is your that Carry yeah. Optics was your last nationals as a junior. Is that right? Yep. Gonna miss limited by a week. Oh, wow. That's kind of yep. crazy. So you'll be a senior in high school next year. Is that right? Yep. Yep. Thanks. Awesome. Uh, so Scott has been, you've won what, five junior titles, national titles? Yeah. Carry Optics was my fifth and final junior title for my USPSA nationals thus far. Okay. So, so very nice. When did you, when did you get started shooting? Uh, so I, I've been shooting for just over five years now. Uh, about five and a half uh, was when my brother and I started, and we've just really picked it up ever since. And um, yeah, we're still going, we're still going at it. So you guys shoot, y'all shoot quite a lot of matches as far as traveling. I mean, not. You're not shooting 20 a year, but you've traveled to quite a few majors. Yeah, nothing crazy, but um, most of the majors that are in the Midwest area and then area three, four, and then a couple nationals. Yeah. Yeah. So what does training look like for you guys as far as how often you're able to get to train and that sort of stuff? So dry fire is a huge part of my training. Um I dry fire basically as much as I can. Since the summer started, I found myself like the first week of when summer started, I was dry firing around four hours a day. I would wake oh, up and put, put the belt on and then not take it off. Um, 
so that that was kind of the practice coming into the summer and then you know when school's in in play i'll try and get at least an hour uh, okay of dry firing and then live fire um has been something that i've kind of been lacking on a little bit but um after training so hard for limited nationals last year i took a big break from live fire and i'm going to be picking that up uh and then i had a whole lot of live fire before carry optics nationals which uh we'll talk about a little later had a whole lot of trouble coming into that match so had to iron out a whole lot of things but i'm gonna try and get out three anywhere from three to five times a month to an outdoor range and then a couple times into an indoor range this these cup coming months so and then try and get one outdoor match a month from now until ipsic nationals yeah so really i mean the, the bulk of your training is the dry fire part definitely of it. yeah definitely yeah. so are you following any sort of routine or regimen with that no, I base what I work on in dry fire after my previous matches performance or something that I've taken from a live fire practice that I need to work on in dry fire. So, I mean, something that I would work on would be, it's, it's never really the draw or the reload. I always try to work the, the simple fundamentals like that into every single dry fire session, but focusing a little bit more on making sure that that stays in the center of the target while moving around or making sure that I have really stable feet upon entries um, is something that I've been working on lately. Mm. But So your, your uh, dry fire is pretty much constantly changing in what you're focusing on. Yeah. And I'll, I'll always just throw in something that I feel like you should work on every time simple transitions, draws, reloads, um, strong hand manipulation, stuff like that. And it's a little bit much, every time. It's pretty much all like, I don't know, dynamic is the right word, but uh, I would say that majority of my dry fire is dynamic shooting. Um, around 70% of it would be a decent number to say. Yeah, yeah. Cool. All right. And you so, you primarily do it in the morning, or could it be like throughout the day at any time when you just have a minute? Or from from eight in the morning to one in the morning is dry fire hours. So, gotcha. That's fair. Yeah. Just waking up a little after one to get going yeah. for the day. <laughs> no, that's. Uh, to to do that much dry fire and and have the success that you have through dry fire is is really impressive. Uh, that's that's pretty nuts. So I have I have to ask because I have an older brother, and I don't know if Jeff was going to get into this later, but I got I got to ask. So you've got an older brother, Jack, who's a phenomenal shooter. He. he uh, I can't remember top 20 nationals multiple times. I'm pretty sure if I'm, if I'm just going off the top of my head, I can't remember if he's been top 10 yep. at nationals. Uh, or not. I think he just missed top 10. I know he qualified for the super squad this year. 
Okay. Yeah, I knew that was for limited, right? Correct. Yeah, he had. I knew he had a and good limited, limited 10, nationals. But... It's all the same match. Yeah. So yeah, this year it's all the same match. Mm-hmm. Um. So, but he's he's older. What two years older than you? Yes. Okay, so that's exactly like myself and my brother. And when when I was about six, a little younger than you, uh, my brother and I were extremely competitive, and luckily we didn't compete like in the same sport. Mm-hmm. Uh, but by the time he was a senior and I was a sophomore, and that I was just ready for him to leave. I just wanted him to just get out of the house. And I told him, I was like, I just want you to leave and go away because I'm sick of you at this point. But you guys seem to actually get along fairly well. I mean, I see you y'all bicker some like brothers do at, at matches, but yeah. y'all still you still squad together. You still obviously are traveling together and that sort of stuff. Do you train together or do y'all just do your own separate thing and then you kind of meet up? Uh, dry fire is separate, but a lot of the times we'll try and structure our live fire together. And then local match, we, we all shoot together. Um but yeah, Jack Jack's coming up on college and he's got a lot ahead of him. So he's kind of in a spot where he doesn't really know where sh- he's going to take shooting in his mm-hmm. future. But he's he's going to try and stay in into it. And uh, I, I definitely would like to see him stay into it because a lot of the reasons why uh, I'm successful at what I do is because if I got beat by my brother, I would go and dry fire so I could beat him the next time. And that was kind of why I accelerated both him and I accelerated extremely quick um, in our first two years. So are you more competitive than Jack or are you all the same or what do you think? Um, I, we're both pretty competitive, but I think I want to beat him more than right. he wants to beat me. Yeah, I can't. I can't wait to have Jack on to see what his response is. Yeah, if if he were sitting there, what do you think he would say? He'd probably just nod along. (laughs) Okay. What is okay? What is the like the biggest? Have y'all gotten into a big fight like on the practice range or at a match? Or I mean, Jeff's gotten in fights with Jared and myself. Like Jeff gets in fights with people that aren't his brothers. So I can't Mm -hmm. imagine that you guys haven't gotten into fights like at a match or something like that. Uh, yeah. I mean, sometimes my brother will do something pretty stupid on a stage and he'll kind of throw away his match and I'll kind of get mad at him because, you know, it's something that he shouldn't be doing and it kind of, it kind of annoys him. And, but I think he, I think he learns from it and, you know, it's brotherly things that we do, but not really anything that that, breaks us apart. I love that your response is, yeah, I only get mad when he does stupid stuff on he the range. Yeah. He's yeah. on the stage. It's not because it's not because I do something <laughs> dumb and he calls me out on that. <laughs> that would never happen. I'm sure. No. Oh, that's that's awesome. Uh, do you think that would bother you, Jeremy, if I started if I started calling you out for stupid shit you did on on stages? Like you just threw your match away, Jeremy. Oh, congratulations. Be, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I don't know if I've had anybody like come up and tell me that like have to tell me that I threw my match away because normally I'm the one that's telling myself, yeah, I just threw my match away. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't usually need outside influence on that part. 
Well, I generally like the the courtesy for people that are not brothers, right? Is like if someone bombs the stage, like you don't talk to them. <laughs> right, right. That's generally how that goes. Yeah. All right. So you finished your your best. Probably the best match you've had was nationals last year. You finished second. To Nils mm-hmm. was very, very close. You were not on the super squad, so you kind of came out of nowhere because your scores were – you weren't shooting this – if I remember right, you weren't on the same schedule that they yes, were Yes, I was shoot on the last day they shot AM and I shot PM, so all the super squad scores were final by the time I started shooting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it, it was kind of – those of us who were watching were like, hey, Jax? Or, I mean, Scott is – that, sorry, I didn't mean to call you brother, but Scott is hmm. Scott's in this, and I think most people were looking at it, thinking, "Well, the super squad's already shot. This is kind of over." Nils won, and I can't remember. I honestly, I just don't remember who was third. Ended up third there. But so you you got to the last stage, if I remember correctly, you were down eight to ten points on Nils going into the last stage. Um, yeah, so I was down eight points and I vividly remember my last stage. It was a 40 point standard shoot activator stage. Uh, there were two steals, a swinger or no, it was, yeah, it was 80 points, two, two steals, uh, a no shoot, a swinger and an open paper. And I shot probably the best stage I've ever shot, but it wasn't enough. I came up 0.4 points short of the win. And I had a Delta on the swinger that was just so close to a Charlie. Um, and that would have sealed the deal for me. So, yeah. It, and I mean, still it was like, I believe a 12, 14% stage win in limited and third overall, I believe. Yeah, um, it was it was yeah. way up there, and so you knew that you were watching the scores. You knew where you were at. Uh, yeah, on the last stage, I I looked because I could I could tell where I was at. But normally, especially on like the first two days of nationals, there's no point looking because you know the way practice score sorts everything. You know, there might be some B class shooter that practice score says is beating you, but mm-hmm. he's just shooting another day on another zone. And yeah. then anything can happen. I mean, JJ at Gary Optics Nationals had a squib. And right. up until he had the squib, he was one of the biggest contenders for the title. Yeah. So, you know, if you're trying to race someone, there's just no point in looking at scores. Yeah. So so going back to that last stage, you, you knew you were down eight points. I, I knew I needed to get a four-point stage or, yeah, a four-point stage win, which would – give me the four points and then take four points away from Nils. From Nils. Okay. Because I, because I think he, I think he was already four points down from the stage winner. Mm -hmm. So me getting a stage win would, would bump him to an eight point difference and that would win me the match. And I knew what I needed to do and I did it, but it just wasn't enough. So what was your, your thought process going going into that stage um really it was it wasn't much i was on a squad with henning and henning walked up to me and he just said just shoot 
and that kind of calmed me down and I walked up and then I just shot how I knew I could shoot. And it was really a, an incredible stage that I had and I couldn't be really more happy with how it would be, but because I was so close, I, I just couldn't be happy in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, yeah. I get that. So it was, so it was really wasn't a, a like, Hey, I'm going to try to be aggressive. I'm just going to try to shoot. Like I know I can shoot. Yeah. I, I did do a scoop draw and I took a semi aggressive activator plan. Right. Um, but in, in terms of like, I'm going to go zero or hero. Um, I didn't, I didn't do any of that. I just, you know, shot how I knew I could. Hmm. I mean, that's cool to be able to pull out a uh, 12% stage win. Just it's like, yeah, I just shot how I normally shoot and it's 12% stage win. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. That, that builds a lot of confidence, right? Yeah. To, to it, know that, that like your, your normal, like your just shoot attitude is a 12% stage win. Yeah. I'm, I believe I also had another stage win at nationals that was an, another big stage win. And I really didn't think it was going to be a stage win. And then at the end of the match, I look at it and I'm like, Oh wow. I won by, you know, a pretty significant margin. But um, yeah, I feel, I feel like uh, just trusting yourself and believing in yourself that you can shoot how you do in practice at a match is a, is really a big thing. Um, that a lot of people need to get a hold of because I mean, coming into carry optics, I was seeing a couple of people on Instagram putting up some really good runs in practice and in their other matches. And then I see them shoot nationals and it looks like they're holding back, um, yeah. which I feel like is, is something that, you know, even a whole lot of grandmaster shooters do. Um, and that's really a inhibitor to your performance. Yeah. Do you oh, feel like for sure you, uh, like you don't have to hold back when you're shooting those big matches. Like does the pressure not, I feel like I can shoot like I can in practice at a match 100% of the time. Really? I don't feel, I don't feel like there's like a, a match mode for me. I, I shoot how I do, but I will shoot a little smarter, you know, playing like I'll say, you know, this hit, this hit factor is going to be a little lower. I want to value points a little more. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm going to see if I can get a little bit more time out of this because the hit factor is higher. I'd be smart with that, but when it when it comes to how I shoot it, I just shoot it how I would in practice. That's pretty interesting. I don't, I don't think I've heard anybody else say that, honestly, that their practice, like, just translates over to, to how they shoot a match. Yeah. It, it wasn't always like that for me, but um, I got I honestly don't know. I would, I say I just picked it up, but um, yeah. yeah, it's it's definitely something that I I see like a whole lot of the top people can do, but a whole lot of people are kind of being holding themselves back. It looks oh, yeah, like they're, they're playing the consistency game. They're just trying yeah. to show up and not make any mistakes and let the other guys mess up, which they often yeah. do. Good. Or they'll walk up to the first stage and shoot a really slow time and then walk off the stage saying that they survived it. And that being, yeah. that would be acceptable for them. Um, you know, for me, um, 
I, I just, I have never like gone up to uh, my first stage and I'm going to be like, oh, I'm going to slow way down, make sure I get all my shots on target. And well, I obviously want to try and get all my shots on target, but I'm not going to, you know, yeah. shoot, shoot three shots at a 20 yard open just because, but I'm, I just want to make sure I call my shots on the first stage. And normally that's enough for me. And a lot yeah. of my first stages, especially at carry optics nationals, a lot of my first stages were pretty good stages for me. Yeah. There wasn't really any drop in performance. So, so you seem like you got a lot of confidence and yeah, I, I, I feel like if, if you're, if you're, you know, look at a target and say, Oh, that's, that's a tough shot. I don't know if I can do that. You're out, you're automatically losing points right there yeah. because you're not confident in your ability. It's true. It's true. It's true. So <laughs> you're coming off of, you're coming off of a really big year, almost almost beating Nils at a, in a year when Nils won virtually everything, and and then there's basically this big layoff because there's not that many matches early in the year. You have Carry Optics National, so you're kind of shooting that. It's a, a little bit of a foreign division for you, at least going to a dot and that sort of thing. Not having talked to you about about that, but not something you've shot a lot of, and. There's there have been lots of people who have who have done that in the past. They they get to nationals, they shoot really well, and and shooting off of the super squad. And then now this year you're going to be on the super squad. You're going to have there's there's more expectations of it. You've been in the power rankings, uh, which obviously that's just huge. Um, <laughs> that's like probably the greatest. That's probably a better accomplishment than being second at nationals. Absolutely, to, yeah, yeah. yeah. To, to get in the top 10 of the, the hit factor power rankings. Mm -hmm. uh, so do you, do you feel pressure and expectations on yourself to, to obviously to, if you feel like pressure to beat it, well, there's only one, there's only one position to beat it. Uh, but to try to replicate it or beat it or whatever, what, what's your mentality as far as that's concerned? Go and shoot. Um, uh, I, I feel like, if I'm not capable of winning nationals, I would know that the before I even shot it. Um, but I'm going to go in knowing that I have the shooting skills to win. Uh, and then just how I apply those skills in the match and how I handle myself mentally is, is really going to be the deciding factor on if I win or lose. But I, I'm not, I'm not overthinking it really because yeah. I don't need to. Yeah, that's, I think that's good. Uh, I, I wish I could be 18 at years, oh, 17 years old again. That's, that's awesome. That would be, that would be hard not to overthink for, for me, honestly. So if you can stay out of your own head, I mean, that's a skill in itself, man. Yeah. And normally when I, when I start getting in my own head, I just think that, if I had good performances in the past, I'm getting in other people's heads. So it just balances yeah. out for me. Right. You know, it's at the top. Everyone's struggling with the same yeah. mental stress and, you know, it's, it really just ultimately comes down to shooting, but mentality is a big part of it. And, you know, almost yeah. everyone at the top has that part down. So it's really yeah. performance. True, true. Yeah, I, but you know, but you're sitting there and you know that 
in their heads, they're thinking that you're coming for them. Yeah. Like, yeah. Or um, that, that you're going to take the match from them. Or maybe, do you think at any point, like, like you show up and think, like, this match is already mine. They're going to have to take it from me. Do you no. get ahead of yourself towards the end or anything like that? No, uh, I just know in I go into the match knowing that I'm a competitor and I'm there to win. And there are a lot of other people like me that have the ability to win, but I just want to shoot the best that I can and uh, manage myself well to where I have the best odds to win for myself. Okay. So So, speaking of giving yourself best odds to win, you've had some chronic issues in the past that I've, I've, given you crap for on the podcast uh, in that you're, you have equipment issues and they seem to crop up. I've seen it crop up at a lot of matches. So is your, is your gut, is your equipment going to run this year? Are you, are you on top of that stuff? Do we need to say, do we need to send Jack in and let him just take care of all your stuff? What do we got to do there? So I just got my new limited gun in uh, four days ago. Okay. So right, right as I came, on the third day of carry optics nationals, I got a, I got a text saying that your gun came in, it's ready to be picked up. So I was really happy to know that I could just throw away the shadow and pick up, you know, good old 2011 and yep. get back at it. Um, carry optics gun ran great. Um, my local gunsmith Vince thought it was absolutely horrible. He was on my squad last year. And nationals and he just thought it was horrible that my gun was going click all the time and i had to <laughs> i had to replace parts and then i ended up just getting an entirely new gun so at he co nationals up, last year right last year so yeah. he set me he set me up with a great shadow two orange that he he put all the parts in that he knew worked and i it was really good it was accurate it ran 100 percent and uh, very happy for that. Shout out Stumbridge Gunworks. He really helped me out there. So, yeah, that's that's good. I hope that yeah. I hope that that uh, that trend continues for you for the rest of the year. Because I know you had a lot of matches yeah. last year where you shot really well, but we're we're fighting fighting equipment issues. Yep, I will be doing everything in my ability to make sure that doesn't happen because that's still on you if you have gun problems that are your fault or if you have ammo that is that has high primers there was a good shooter at co nationals that had that problem and you know it's unfortunate but if he was able to prevent that by checking his ammo a little better you know he could have gotten a, a lot better performance yeah and you guys do y'all have your new y'all have an apex 10 didn't y'all get one yep yeah we we just got that set up but we switched to nine and we didn't get the nine tool head on that. So, but yeah, we just, we got that set up for 40 and it's been going really good for us. Awesome. Cause nice. y'all were on, what were you, were you on a five fifty before that? Seven fifty. A seven fifty. Okay. I know, I know your dad had talked to me about getting a ten fifty or that apex 10 or, or what. Mm-hmm. So that's good. I think that'll be having a, a full on a real machine like that will help help the ammo be a lot more consistent in the future, which will be good. Mm. 100%. Okay. 
Secret sauce. We've heard about this secret sauce. John Luke refused to let us in on what the secret sauce was. And <laughs> and we've been sitting on this for months now. It's been like two, three months since John Luke yep. has talked to us about the secret sauce. So what is the secret sauce? How can we all get into super squads just by knowing the secret sauce? What's what's going on here? So it might be a little disappointing, but I don't know. <laughs> but what I can tell you is what I was working on in the Bay. Um, I don't okay. know exactly what I, what I said that clicked with him, but I was at the PSTG summit and um, while the summit was happening, the range had their once a month match that was going on. And I was talked into shooting production with it, with a gun I've never shot dumb enough as I am. I said, yeah. And I ended <laughs> up shooting the match and I didn't do as well as I wanted to. So I found myself in an empty bay, uh, just trying to iron out some of the issues. And some of the issues that I had at that match was poor shot calling. Um, my grip was, I was controlling the gun well, but my, my recoil control wasn't the best as I wanted it to be. And my sights, when I transitioned to the target, weren't aligned how I liked it. So I go to this bay and uh, no targets. I just look at the berm, pick a spot. And then the first thing that I started addressing was my grip and how it affects my shot calling, my transition accuracy, and my shot to shot, you know, grouping. So one of the, one of the things that I was doing is I was just allowing the gun to shoot without any influence of a target, picking a specific spot and then just watching the site go from where it is and then like straight up in the 12 o'clock direction. So like if you're aiming at the center of the clock, I want the sights to track up that 12 o'clock line. And mm -hmm. that was, a that's kind of, that might be the secret sauce, just getting your sights to do that. Because for me, that made a world of difference. Um, it makes mm -hmm. calling shots much better and the predictability of where your sight is going to be during recoil where it's going to end up being that was something that actually helped me a whole lot and that might be the secret sauce i don't know and then another thing was working on my elbow position to make sure that i have a good wrist lock um because one of the things that is underlooked in the grip is if you have a consistent grip your index is going to be better and your transition accuracy well, not the accuracy of your transition, but your sight alignment um, at the end of your transition will be better. Um, so if you have a good wrist lock and a really nice firm grip, if you transition to a spot, your sights ideally should be, your dot should be in the center of your screen or your irons being perfectly aligned, equal height, equal light stuff. So it was really a whole lot of grip work that kind of ironed out those three things and what exactly I said at the time, I don't know, but that that's kind of just what it is. I couldn't tell you exactly what it, what the secret sauce is, but that's what I was working on. And that's kind of my ideas about what I was working on. So hmm. is that, is that a common practice for you to yes. not to, to, to train with no targets and just go hmm. shoot? Uh, yeah, 
Uh, a lot of the times I'll, so one of the things that I've actually done is like cut a, cut a like two inch hole in the middle of a target and then focus on something that is like look through the hole on something that's further than the target. So say the berm's 20 yards from the target, you're seven yards from the target. If you're focusing on something that's 27 yards away and you shoot doubles, you will notice a considerably smaller group than what you were focusing on at say 20 yards. Mm -hmm. And I use that or at seven yards. And I use that information that I gathered from the focus that's further and then taking that information and applying it to the seven yard target by keeping it closer. I've noticed that that is actually something that's helped me a lot because it shows the potential that I have, but the stuff that holds me back from getting the results that I have on a focus that's further away on a smaller spot can be achieved at seven yards as long as I pick a specific spot instead of, you know, looking at a general area. That's something that I've been doing. And then also not shooting at a target. I just find it just, it takes one thing out of the equation and it helps me call shots better. Um, I can just see how the sides are moving during the trigger press. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. I mean, if you can get the sites, if the sites are 100% predictable in, in your transitions and then also in recoil, then there's not a lot of limits on how fast you can go. You, you can no. go just as, as fast as you want to, if it's a hundred percent predictable. Yep. So trying to get there makes sense, you know, and the guy, the guy that does that, that I know of that does that the best, uh, which is, it's interesting because he, you and him drastically different physical statures. Cause the guy that does that the best that I know of is Bob Crow. And obviously he's six, eight and, massive hands even an emg magwell he has to relieve that because his hands hang off like three quarters of an inch below the grip on a 2011 yeah his his gun doesn't have recoil yeah it, it doesn't it doesn't yeah. but it's but it's a hundred percent predictable where it's gonna be and so he just gets he can rail on basically any target that he wants to and it's gonna be there and you are achieving that the same thing obviously in a very different manner than you're not six, seven, you don't have lumberjack hands. Uh, and so you can't quite do that the way he does, but you're finding a way to do it. So that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Which, I mean, to hear people talk about doing that, that's incredibly difficult to, to get one, like just standing still. Okay. Just to get the gun, the recoil to behave predictably and how you want it with every trigger press. But then also to carry that from position to position is like, it's a whole nother challenge because like your body tension changes, your foot position changes. So that's, that's incredible that you can do that. That's incredibly difficult or yeah. I have found it to be incredibly difficult. Yeah. And I definitely think that's shooting wise, just, you know, standard shooting and just shooting performance is one of the biggest parts of it. Yeah, I've I spent many years of my career working doubles and just trying to to really work on the predictive shooting side of the game. And I've actually 
I'm going the opposite direction now. I'm going back to I'm I'm going back to before I did any sort of predictive shooting, and I'm I'm going back to almost reactive shooting on everything. And I don't like to actually the I don't like the word reactive shooting because that that means slow basically because you're waiting to react to the sights. But I'm I'm trying to just shoot more visually and not shoot predictively. Uh, it because for me what the the predictive shooting the predictive training did is it it created it created more tension for me especially on match days because i knew that okay 25 yard target i can and should be able to shoot 25 splits on that and still shoot days that's what i should be able to do because that's that's what you can do shooting when i'm just shooting static and so i would expect that of myself on match day that Hey, I need to be yeah. shooting 25 splits. And it's, and it was almost every single target. I knew so much the numbers of what I am supposed to or can shoot it at that, that my, it, it almost, it put my stress level at, at too high a level and, and put too much pressure on every single shot to be exactly perfect. So I've actually gone, I've gone a, a little bit different way away from that recently, very recently, but we'll see how that. Please, I haven't I haven't shot a match since then, but I like what you're doing. I think what you're doing is correct. I'm not I'm not saying to not do that. Uh, it's it's what if you can do that and make that work the way that you do, then then that's that's the correct way to do it. Yeah, I feel if if your grip is working for you and your vision is being doing what it's supposed to to the best of its abilities which is kind of what I've been working on with cutting the hole in the target and then looking at a spot that's smaller and further away from the target, um, creating an ideal situation for your vision uh, kind of shows your capability and, um, you know, gives you a little bit more to work on. But yeah, it's, um, it's a big part of shooting. And for me, shot calling uh, and vision and transitions and grip, if one of those things is off. It's, it's probably not going to be a good day for shooting. Yeah. Yeah. So interesting. You have not, you have not mentioned trigger control at all. So is that, no. is that a big part of it or you just, you just grip it and rip it. I, I can slap the trigger on a 45 yard target and get the hits that I want. Um, it's, I think it's video games. That's honestly done it for me um, because I probably have, I've probably pulled the trigger about a billion times. It just not all of it's been on a gun. Yeah. But, um, I mean, I, I was at the summit and I was working the, the trigger press and, um, Andrea, Andreas was watching me and I'm shooting like a 20 yard mini popper and I'm slapping the trigger and he's like, how are you doing that? And it, it's kind of just been something I've, I've been able to do. Although I have had, you know, switching to carry optics and shooting the shadow, I did have a little bit of trouble uh, with the trigger and tension in my right hand. Um, and I don't know if that was just because the gun didn't fit my hand, but I had a little bit of trouble with that. But, you know, I mean, with the Glock, with my Glock and my 2011, I haven't had any issues with trigger press. And, you know, it's something that I should work on. But right now, I just think there are more important things to master. Yeah, if it's not the low-hanging fruit for you, then yeah, look at something else. I mean, that's the Rob Latham approach. Uh, grip it really hard. And I don't care what you do with the with your finger. 
you can stop yeah. it. You can you prep it. You can do whatever you want. If if you don't move the gun when you pull the trigger, then it doesn't matter what you're doing as long as you're not moving or influencing the shot with that trigger press. So yeah. that's cool. I'm I'm envious because I I don't I can't do that. Uh, yeah, and I don't even think it's something that you should envy because I mean, guys like JJ, like they're basically their whole style of shooting is based around prepping the trigger and yeah, you know, breaking breaking the shot like that. It's um, you know, there's no wrong way for shoot and shooting for almost yeah. anything. Yeah, that's what's that's what's really fascinating. So do you, so do you think have you and Jack developed your own style separately or do you guys kind of shoot the same way uh i think just like watching each other and training with each other we've kind of we we haven't had like a set like i'm trying to get to this style mm-hmm. um but i mean if you if you watch both of us shoot you get there's some similarities but i i just try and shoot the best i can and take advantage of the skills that i know i'm good at and apply that to my stage plans uh, to get the best results. Yeah. Okay. I, I got to ask cause I had you in as my surprise person to maybe win the build drill challenge at CO nationals. And I don't know if you just, you've spent all your money on your girlfriend. You couldn't afford the $20. Your dad said, Nope, we're not, we've paid enough for this trip. We're not going to give you the money for this. No entry into the build drill challenge. What's up with that? I did enter. You did enter? Uh, yes, but I only did one entry. Um, okay. I, bought, I, I wasn't really expecting much because Billy already put down the 123. And like maybe I could have got it, but not with the shadow. Um, and I hadn't really trained for the build drill at all. So I pay my $20. I walk up. I shoot like a 186, but there's a Charlie that was just outside. So I shoot like a stupid low, like 250, just to get um, my name in the hat for the random draw because I was yeah. classified. So they did random draws and that was kind of just the way I did. Just walk up. I didn't want to try and overthink it, but I mean, Billy just crushed it. Yeah. And want to waste you, the money. You've hit, the, you've hit those numbers before, right? Yeah, uh, with my limited gun, I cannot scoop draw the shadow with the double action. I, I did it once at practice, and like my second try, I shot like the base of the target. So, <laughs> yeah, that's I, I fair just, enough. I just, I just stopped trying to game it. I, I had zero. My draws, it you can look at my draw times from when they had the AMG data at nationals. My draws were like averaging a one fifty. It was very bad. Um, that match. Hey, that's my. You're at my range now. I can. I can hang with that. That's good yeah. to hear. Well, yeah. Not, you need not to something keep that, that when you go to the limit again. Well, I, I've as soon as I came home from CO Nats, I've been working on the scoop draw, and I was really trying to get that draw time down because I was not happy with that. But if the build drill challenge makes its way to iron sights, I will. Um, I'll dabble in that. Uh, I know it's not, it can't be confirmed officially, but John Scouten is going to do everything he can to make sure that it is part of that match. If at, if at all possible. 
And I'm I'm going to propose I what I want them to see them do, and I I think I propose this to John. I, he said he thinks that they can do it at the Ironsight Nationals. Is that they need to have the Bilgeville Challenge as part of Chrono. That way, everybody everybody's going through there. That you're sitting around doing nothing at Chrono. You could you could have that going at the same time. But the the stage immediately after it, I want a stage that incorporates a build drill into the stage. So basically, it's uh, six shots per target. You start with a seven-yard target. You move to a port. You've got six steel, and then you move again, and you've got like a 30-yard target that you got to put six on. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to test more skills than a build drill, but the build drill is this, like the start of that stage. And guess what? You can pay $20 and get two practice runs or four practice runs on a build drill during chrono right before that stage. I think you would yeah, get the shooting. participation would go way up. Shooting should not be a pay-to-win thing. Uh, <laughs> it's I not mean, a pay-to. That's it, not a pay-to-win. We're paying well, to participate anyway. Yeah, but if if this following stage has something to do with build drill, you know, if someone who gets their practice in, because I mean, a lot of the times, if you don't shoot at all during chrono, you, you're kind of just getting iced from the stage before skipping chrono without shooting, and then shooting the next stage where if someone can just get keep that shooting going it's an advantage and then again that they're shooting a build drill and then the next stage is a build drill style stage yeah it but everybody be, can pay their 20 bucks and do it yeah i i don't think if they were to do it they should do it like they did last co nationals and make the vendor bay a mandatory stop because that was one of the things that i kind of kind of felt bad for the vendors at care optics nationals they they just really didn't get any traffic going through their area. It was kind of lunchtime. Yeah. I was talking to Henning and Leif about it. And, um, you know, the product that they sold this year was nothing like they did last year. But Jake Martins um, also felt the same. And he's going to try and fix that for upcoming nationals. And I feel like if you made national or the vendor bay part of the build drill challenge and then have that a mandatory stop, you would also get participation because participation last year was really good because, you know, to look at the vendor products, you're right next to the bill drill. And then mm -hmm. you were inclined to hand over your $20 and that yeah. would make it to where, you know, if they wanted to, they, they could, and there's no competitive advantage to shooting the bill drill. I think they, I think they should do it and, and let people have the practice that they want. Cause honestly, I, I think it would be really fascinating to see the people that shoot the build drill and then whenever it's the real stage, like see what they're use an AMG timer. So that way you can see what if the what they're doing when they're trying to win the build drill challenge versus when they're shooting an actual stage, what the difference is in those in those runs. I think that would be really fascinating. And I think you can make enough of a stage that whether you run a one eight build drill or one six in it or a two two in it which anybody i think anybody that's going to be competing to win they could at least run a two two i don't think you're going to see a huge uh, that's not going to make a huge difference on that stage whether they they're in that one one six one eight or two two range it's all going to be all going to be a bit of a wash at that point Man. i think all right, so CEO Nationals. What what do you think of CEO Nationals? I thought I thought it was pretty uh, pretty good match. 
21 stages. There were a couple stages that I weren't happy with because the designs of the bays, you could not shoot the um, uprange down the left and right berms. You could mm -hmm. only shoot the back and they did a good job creating uh, depths and wide transitions on a couple of stages, but there were two that were kind of just stages that you'd see at an indoor match. And that was, that was kind of unfortunate, but a lot of people thought it was too stand and shoot. Uh, although that I thought it was actually a really good test of skills. Um, maybe a little too much strong hand. I feel like the strong hand could have been um, like the last six shots have to be fired strong hand. I feel like that's more interesting and a little bit more of a skill than having a standards. A lot of people are unhappy about the O3 classifier that they recycled into the match. <laughs> um, I, I didn't, I didn't mind it. Um, I mean, making something original would have been a little, little cooler, but um, I don't like the new style of classifiers. I feel like some people are liking them because of the movement, but I feel like the hit factor is too high to where even if you have a bad grip or, you know, like there's a marksmanship issue, you can still get a GM run, uh, yeah. which I don't feel like is a true test of skills that should be put onto classifiers personally. Yeah. Um, that's what I think of the new classifiers, but um, overall I thought it was a good match. My personal performance, uh, I wanted better, but going into the match two weeks before was a disastrous two weeks from switching from limited to carry optics. And I had so much trouble. Um, yeah. It, yeah, it was you pretty shot, bad. Uh, you shot free state. With Jeff, shot Great Plains know. and Great Plains, Free State. Okay. So Great Plains was the week before, and I shot 91% in that match. And the person who I shot 91% of um, shot really, really good. And then there were a lot of other contenders in that match who um, kind of just, they were going for the win, and they kind of knock the scores down and it, it wasn't it wasn't the best shooting that i was going up against and i shot 91 percent. but the week after i shot free state and lane won that match and he had a he had a good match and i shot 92 percent of him yeah uh, which for me was considerably better um while i still shot like 91 92 i feel like from who i shot and how the how the winner shot against how i shot i i did better but I went from shooting 91, 92% a week before nationals to shooting 91% at nationals was a huge, huge gain. And that was, that was what I was most happy with, with my nationals performance was my ability to like go from almost a complete breakdown and like scrambling watching going over my notes over the past like three years talking to other good shooters on you know how to get over you know how to get over a switch and then you know looking at videos on pstg i mean just hours and hours of that being able to you know in about a week go from 
awful shooting to getting 91% and 14th place at Gary Optics Nationals. I was definitely happy with that performance, but not happy with how I shot at Nationals because I do feel like if I had just a little bit more time, I could have squeezed out a little bit more, and then my last day wasn't that good. But, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, no, I mean, that's – it's. I mean, 14th – yeah, you, you finished 14th at the deepest Nationals that in recent memory that I'm uh, – honestly, ever in the history of our sport that I'm aware of. That There may yeah. have been going back when there was only – one division in the in the whole sport maybe maybe they were deeper but i mean when you have guys you know mason lane's eighth at 92 percent you're at 14th at well there were three world champ champions that were shooting this match yeah several national champions and then there was on top of the what used to be the most stacked nationals which was last year's carry optics you had the addition of uh like christian aaron Eden's um, Andrew Hyder was there and probably a couple other people mm-hmm. on top of that, that shook up the competition. Uh, there were a lot of people there and 91% is good. I feel like it should have been around 93. Um, and then maybe a little higher if I had a little bit more practice, but yeah, it was definitely the very competitive nationals. They, I think like the first nationals that they needed two super squads for. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. There's definitely enough, definitely yeah. enough shooters. Honestly, you could probably go almost, you could probably almost go three super squads deep at that one. Definitely two for yeah, sure. I mean, the top 20 are just big names. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, th- so that's impressive. So was there, what was the, of all the all the stuff you're looking up, was there a couple big things that, that helped you make that jump? Because I mean, just to put it in perspective, Lane Grease finished seventeenth at this match, where you were fourteenth, and two weeks before it, you were nine percent or eight percent below him. So what what was that jump? And I think Lane had a pretty good nationals. I yeah, he, he, he struggled day three a, like me. Okay, but um, looking at our performance, I I was actually almost neck and neck with him for the first two days. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I had, I shot free state Saturday and then I left for nationals Wednesday. So I had Sunday, Monday, Tuesday to get from shooting 91% of lane to then beating him. Yeah. That was the most, I was dry firing six hours a day, going to the range every single day. I, I was at the range till about 1130 at night for those three days, putting in a whole lot, just a whole lot of work, analyzing my videos. Like basically those three days, I didn't do anything but eat, sleep and do something to get better at shooting. And it really, it paid off. Like I'm, I'm super happy with how I progressed and, you know, just watching videos that other shooters created, um, you know, getting in contact with other great shooters, um, to kind of talk out my issues. And it, it was definitely one of the, one of the greatest leaps that I've had in shooting. And it was, you know, three days that I did that. So, yeah, that's uh, 
that's pretty crazy to to make that leap. How were your hands? Are you are you doing uh, enough dry fire that that you've got the calluses there to be able yeah, to do that I, or what? Yeah, I had to like every day. I had to like cut my calluses with nail clippers because they were getting pretty okay. bad. Yeah. Um, but my my hands definitely hurt, and like after a live fire session, my hands would just crack open, and I was sleeping with hand lotion on, like super. Th- super thick. And then in the morning I would wash it off, hoping that my hands would be healed for the next day to come. <laughs> I love so. it. That's, that's awesome. It's what you got to do. Mm-hmm. Jeff, how does that make you feel? Uh, that he, he basically just took four, four days and, and did, just did nothing but shooting. How do you feel about that? I don't know, man. You're going to do that, that before nationals. I would like to. That would be like how many rounds did you say? How many rounds you shot during that time? Uh, over the three days, probably seven hundred. Yeah. So not so not that not much. a ton, not a ton, but it right. it was it was like seven hundred rounds across like nine hours of live fire. Mm-hmm. So, so doing tons of tons of dry fire reps while you're live yeah. firing is that what you're doing? A lot of visualization, a lot of dry fire reps, you know, a lot so of that thought. Was all, so it was like more stage type shooting as well? A little bit. And then fundamentals was a big part of it. And then calling shots and, you know, getting my shooting, shooting at the site's pace. Yeah. Getting, getting everything dialed in. And then, you know, just trying to iron out all my issues before nationals. I got a question for you on, on major matches or, or nationals, whatever. Mm-hmm. Do you have like a, a ritual or routine that you do like a day or the day of, or two days before a big match uh, that you feel like sets you up for your best match? Do you have anything like that? Um. Getting good sleep and eating good food is something that I love to keep consistent. So every morning, uh, I'll have a Jimmy Dean breakfast bowl and some fruit and some other stuff every single match, no matter where it is, you know, that's, that's what I do. And then the dinner before I keep it either chicken or beef, um, pretty plain. And then. Uh, the nut- and then the nutrition that I get during the match, I try and drink anywhere from a half bottle to a whole bottle of water a stage, depending on the temperature. Uh, and then I eat beef jerky, cashews, and then maybe a protein bar once in a while during the stage. And that just keeps me feeling good, energized. I don't do any caffeine or anything. I, I'll normally beat my alarm on days that I, that I shoot. Yeah. So just like getting, getting ready to shoot is it's, it's a little thing, but it keeps it consistent and you know, there's that. And then I also do some, some more stretching the closer I, I get to a match. So to prevent injury right before a match. Do you dry fire the morning of 
Yes. I always dry fire before a match, no matter what time. Nice. I'm always curious how many people do that. Yeah. yeah. I agree with that. That's the way to do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've been, I've experimented with, with that type of stuff. And I just can't ever nail anything down, honestly. Like, obviously, eating good and sleeping good is is great for you. But as far as, like, dry firing the – and I have always dry fired the morning of. But one thing that I had experimented with was, like, not dry firing for, like, 48 hours leading up to that point. And seeing how that affected and like one match it would be like oh yeah this is the ticket this is it it allows me to forget all the stupid shit that i had accidentally learned it kind of revert back to subconscious flow and then you know the next match it, it doesn't have an effect so i was curious if you had anything like that yeah a lot of the dry fire that i do isn't really um trying to improve or trying to go faster or anything it's kind of uh, just warming up making sure that when I get to the first stage, the gun feels like, I don't want the gun feeling weird yeah. when I get up to the first stage. Like, I feel like that's bad. If you pick up the gun and it's like, Oh, this, this just doesn't feel right. Yeah. I always want to be, have that like connection to, to where it's just natural. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. I get that for sure. Um, uh, we probably got some more questions. Jeremy, do you have anything immediately before we give some shout outs? Nope. All right. Let's uh let's go ahead and do our Discord shout out real quick. We just got one from Midpack Mike. Shout out to Scott. How do you say that, Jeremy? Houghton? Houghton? Say Houghton. Houghton? All right. That's how I'd say it. All right, we'll go with that. For making Master Unlimited in just under 18 months. He used the powers of caffeine and ADHD to drive fire <laughs> his way to the top. And I think this next part might be something I'm, I'm not supposed to say. I don't know. You make the call, Jeremy. Oh, I say definitely need to shout him out on a Scott Brown episode as he'll be taking notes the whole time. <laughs> so that's, yeah, it's perfect. It fits in great. I love it. I think mid-pack Mike, I think Mike just, they just had their match in California this last weekend and it looked like it was probably fun. Uh, so I need to try and maybe put that on the schedule for next year. It's not too terrible of a drive. It's going to California, which I, I have, Jeez. I have moral issues against going to California, but if I'm going there to shoot a match, it's like, you're kind of going there to stick it to them. So that's okay. I'm fine with that. There you go. There you go. I mean, that sounds logical. Yeah. And then also today's episode is brought to you guys by Shooters Connection. They're sponsoring today's show. If you guys need anything for that range bag, keep it stocked. Tools, pasters, targets, extra parts for those 2011s, 1911s, shadows, even even Glocks. Nice. Uh, go over Shooters Connection. Pick up your extra stuff. Support the podcast, support them. They sponsor a lot of matches. They're doing same-day shipping, and they're run by competitive shooters themselves there. So support Shooters Connection. Use the link down in the description if you would. Thank you. 
And that is it for our shout-outs, I believe. Also, if you guys want to join the Discord, link will be in the description. Do that. More discussion. I think that's it. I think that's all our, our house cleaning. Sounds good. You got questions, right. Jeff? Yeah, let's let dude, let's field just a couple questions because here's the thing. I feel like you can get into some good stuff with the discussion we've had here. But I feel like a really great way to like to understand like a good shooter and how they think is to like ask them real world questions about shooting and then hear how they think about things, which we've already heard a ton from Scott. I think he's had some great answers, but this is just being a cherry on top. Alrighty, so we're gonna go here. Some of these questions are really old because we've been really terrible at getting to them. We've been Plus, busy lately. Make him, yeah, it doesn't make them any less relevant. So, okay, so first one here: How much attention do you give to your match finish from overall results, or do you only look at the division you're shooting? Only the division to improve and then if i finish good in the overall it's pretty cool but yeah uh, you should you should only be looking at where you finish and not by where you place but by your percentage what about at a local yeah uh, i don't think it matters <laughs> do you look at division when you shoot a local um i really just look at like my individual stage performance and um, how I could get better because at a local there, you know, if you have a mistake, it can affect your end result too much because of the size of the match is just too small. Um, so I feel like at, at a local, you know, if, if you're trying to get the best performance you can out of a local and then just, you know, just shoot, just shoot how you should. And then a local, you should be able to improve to where you have, better performances at a level two or a level three. Um, I def one of the things that I definitely do is value um, one specific match every year as a match that I want to perform at. Uh, and I feel like that should be for everyone. So they shouldn't really care about how they do at locals. You know, they should just have their sights set on that one match and being able to perform at that one match. So you're meaning like you're looking to peak for this match every year. Yep. Yeah. Which I'm assuming is limited. more than the nationals. Yeah, limited nationals. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think I think Scott's right on the basically it kind of boils down to the size of the match. The smaller the match, the more that fluctuation of where you finish can be. You could you could have a pretty bad match and you could still win. Or somebody else might have a really good they might string together three or four good stages and just, and their, and their percentage is maybe 10% higher than where it's normally at. And so when you don't have a ton of people there, those finishes can get really inconsistent. And so, yeah, I think Scott's somewhat right. And you really kind of just assess your own shooting performance almost in isolation at, at locals. If you have somebody, I guess that's that you're competing and running against, that you, like a buddy that you just kind of always go back and forth with, with, I can understand that. 
but I I get I don't know if I get I get exasperated a little bit with some of the well I shot my single stack gun and I won high overall at my match or I'm so good because I can win lo- local match with my single stack uh, and that I don't know I don't that stuff is I think that I think that's kind of gets a little bit pointless uh, I will use because because I often compete in single stack which is a not highly attended match often i'm having to look at other divisions just to somewhat uh make my score relevant yeah and so it it used to be production Uh, you could basically just compare straight across with production and there used to be enough high level shooters at almost any level two in production that you could get a really good idea of where how you shot in that That, that's a little bit harder now because production is almost yeah has the same attendance of single stack at this point so yeah i would say like if you had a good show out for all the divisions then yeah you could just look at your division finish to to see what you needed but kind of like what jeremy said single stack even at even at smaller majors uh like i'm looking at limited scores to try and gauge if if i had a decent match or not um so Another thing, another thing that I'd like to add is that on like a local match, like if you shoot like ninety percent of someone who's a really good shooter at a local match, if you go to a level two just because of how the math is, because there's more stages, they're going to be putting more of a lead on you. So, yeah, you know, you you go from ninety percent at a local to eighty two percent at an area match to like 78% at a nationals. Um, and that's, that's something that, you know, if you get into the math, like if that's your thing, you can get into the math and, you know, you can really figure it out how little local matches matters and how you're able to translate like your actual shooting ability against someone else. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I definitely think it is if you just focus on yourself, you'll get better results if you learn and focus on yourself. Yeah, I mean, CO Nationals is a great example. After day one, all of the scores were extremely compressed. Even if you just looked at people who had shot the same stages as like the guys on the super squad, all of those scores were really compressed and, and the percentages were really tight. And, and each day as the, just the match got longer, it, it those scores spread, spread out. out. Yep. Yep. So that, I, and, I think and that's really also right. why looking at scores early on, on in the match doesn't matter. Really doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. 30 points, 50 points, 60 points can get, that can get flip flopped really quickly in a match. So I think you're probably pretty smart in that from that regard. Yeah, that was good. That's good answers. What else, Jeff? Uh, okay, here we go. What should an annual USPSA training program look like? So you have a major match every July and want to pink peak for it. Oh, say you have a major match every July and want to peak for it. Uh. Yeah, let's just go with that. Forget the second part of the question. 
So how would you structure an annual training program? Um, I would say try and July is a little bit earlier in the year uh, to have like a match that you want to peak for. Normally it's around that October, uh, September, October, November time period. So I would say try and find a major match to get some competition in as early on as you can in the year. Uh, and then with that information that you can get from a major match, you can see, you know, if you shot 90% of someone really good, you can say, okay, this is what I need to work on to get a little bit more out of it. And then, you know, say I have this many rounds I want to shoot this year. And then you got to try and figure out how to spread it across evenly where, you know, that last week right before that match, you're really getting down and, um, getting getting to the range and shooting as often as you can but you know really it's when it comes to like trying to peak at a match um, that's where your mentality is gonna show if you're gonna like crumble down even though you're capable of doing really well at that match you know if you just don't have that mental capacity to know that you know you've trained for this you're ready if you if you just shoot you'll be you you'll place how you should and that's got to be acceptable for you but if you can't do that you know that's something that you, it's something you just gotta get over it i guess you know just being can't get in the moment yeah you, you've got to i i think you need to figure out a way to find what what level of competition or what number of competitions you need to be in in order to feel comfortable competing. That's, uh, I think that's important to, for something that's going to be different for different people. Some people need to be at a match every weekend for the four weeks up to it. Some people need to do that a month out and then they need a month of just training. They, they get, they've got all their data and they can just train for a month before it. But I, I, I would kind of lean towards, Okay, the kind of the six weeks ahead of that match, that, that whatever that important match is, I want to be in competitions of some way, somehow, at least a couple majors. And if it's locals that you have to you, if it's a buddy that you're competing with in practice, some way, somehow, or something, so that you're comfortable competing with what you've got. And then I, I think what's, what's important about what Scott did this year, you know, he, he, he put in a ton of hours right beforehand. And I would, I would normally say that's not, that's not ideal to do that. Like to, to put that much, to go that hardcore in training right beforehand, almost just from beating your hands up, beating yourself up mentally and all that stuff. He's, he's young. So that, that does, that does make a difference. But what Scott has done is that he's done enough training way in advance like he hasn't, his calluses are there. His hands are used to it. His mind's used to it that months ago he was training hard such that his body had the ability to go hard and not fall apart. I think some people, they want to cram for the test at the end and they haven't done any training ahead of time and their bodies can't handle it. Scott had done enough training ahead of time that he could, he could cram for the test basically and his body could take it. And that that's, mm -hmm that's something that people, hopefully they don't, 
they don't think, oh, I'm just going to, I'll just wait till the four days before nationals and I'll jump. I'll have a 10% jump in my performance. Uh, I, there's a lot of work that went into that ahead of time. It wasn't. It wasn't just those three days, even though it may have sounded like that. At least that's. Yeah. That's my yeah, assessment. The, it, I had about a month to work with on the carry optics gun, and that month was pretty disciplined with how I did everything. But that three days was just what what I feel like set set me apart from where I would have been at nationals and where I, where I was. Yeah. Nice. Mm. Uh, for me, as far as an annual plan, I would do something similar to what Scott said as far as like need, need, knowing how many rounds you're going to shoot for the year, pick your match uh, that you want to peak for, sort of plan out how, you're, how much you're going to be shooting each week. Uh, I also like to plan out pretty specifically uh, when I'm going to be dry firing and not really like leave it up to chance uh, or leave it up to when I feel like it. So I'm a morning guy, get up, dry fire in the morning. I'm shooting 400 rounds a week. I've got it budgeted out. I've got all the primers and everything lined out so I can get this accomplished this year. And then as far as uh, skills shooting, uh, usually at the beginning of each season, I like to start with usually six to eight weeks of just fundamentals. Like I don't even really move around much. Uh, I'm just working on grip, reestablishing grip, maybe going over some notes from last year, uh, trying to get my eyes working correctly, uh, all those things. So just, just the very basics of marksmanship uh, and fundamentals for like six to eight weeks. And then I'll start chopping in some, some more dynamic stuff and moving around and whatnot. But that's how I, that's how I like to structure things. One more. One more. Let's hit one more real quick. Okay. They're going fast. This one, this one's good for, uh, for Scotty. Would you say your progression has been fairly linear or did you make big jumps when things started clicking? Um, I mean, when I start when I started shooting, um, Merle Eddington was my first kind of coach and and teacher, and he explained shooting in a way it was kind of like backpacking, to where if you're a beginner backpacker, you just have this big bag and it's super heavy, and there are some things that you just don't need and you can take out to get it lighter. But as you get to the top, you know you're you're starting to you know cut inches off your toothbrush to save weight. And that's kind of how it is. You, the, the, you're still making gains, but it's, it's definitely not straight up. You know, you'll see like a new shooter, like one day their grip, it'll just click with them and then they're going to be able to get that. And then their draw gets better and then their reload. But once you get to the top, it's, you know, making sure that, you know, your footwork is almost 100% all the time making sure you're shooting on both feet instead of one, um, you know, trying to do little things to make sure you don't have a makeup shot in a stage. Um, what you need to work on is based on your performance on other matches and you should always be improving, but you're not going to see big score gains uh, the closer and closer you get to the top. Yeah. 
Jeremy, what's your progression been like? Uh, like a very shallow hill. <laughs> to a very like, like a very shallow <laughs> plateau is what I think. And then I had kids, and then I kind of went off the backside of that plateau. Is right. what it has what it has felt like. Uh, I, yeah, I don't. I I never had that kind of that rocket ship trajectory to my shooting, like to where I just like went went really really high to the top. I, I think I have better than average eye hand coordination than just your average person, but I don't have like elite eye hand coordination. And, and I think that that has been, that's been evident for me. Uh, so yeah, I, I don't think it, for me, it was, it was a kind of a, a slow progress and yeah. Then it's been a it's been a bit of a plateau. Uh, kind of COVID and kids hit all at the same time for me, and that's that's just been a readjustment to life and trying to figure that out. Yeah. No, I think I think in the later years of shooting, like probably past three years, I, I don't know that you're going to see people with explosive gains. Uh, it's going to be more like what what Scott described. Uh, so you're you're inching along, you're making tiny adjustments, making gains, and then like suddenly everybody's like, "Oh, Scott's winning everything. What happened?" It's like, well, he's he's been working really hard and making tiny adjustments here and there for a while now. But I do think at the beginning of shooting, uh, you see people take a little bit different paths in those like maybe first three years i think you see some people take a, like a more linear approach and then you see some people that you know six months in and they just explode and they they make master in 12 months or something like that uh, so i think really you only see a lot of difference in that first part of someone's shooting career and then the rest of it is is really like hard work and, and paying attention and and grinding pretty much. So. Yeah. And it, I think a lot of those progressions, it somewhat depends on this. Isn't, this isn't meant to be make excuses. It somewhat depends on where you're at just in life. We alluded to it a little bit with, you know, Jack is, I mean, both of you guys have been junior, you and Jack have been junior shooters. You know, you, you can, you don't have responsibilities a whole lot. At least I'm not trying to, read into into y'all's lives too much you don't you don't have a ton of responsibilities other than school and you can focus on shooting and now jack's you know he's got to go to college and figure out okay how how are we going to figure this out and then where does shooting fit within that you'll you'll soon have that same sort of thing and so your trajectory may it may take off even faster because you may find a way to that the sport is a big part of your life and how and your livelihood and so that this your trajectory may keep going or it may have to be a thing where that you're it it it, it goes the other direction because you're like oh i want to i've known lots of really good shooters who are young and it's like well i want to be an engineer and i want to make lots of money and that's not going to happen in uspsa so so i'm not gonna i'm not gonna keep putting the the effort that i put into it and you know may may stay involved or they may not but 
you know, as far as when you get involved in that sort of stuff, what your career can look like is, is also has a big factor to it. Uh, yeah. Scott, do you, I got to ask this. Do you like, do you have fun at matches? All the time. You do? Yeah. Like, yeah. I'll, I'll be competitive and I'll beat myself up with how I do, but I always have fun at matches. I feel yeah. like it's, it's kind of like an overlooked thing. Like people can get too serious. Yeah. Or, you know, like they'll make a mistake early on in the match and then their, their mood's kind of ruined for the day. And then they have just like this, you know, this attitude, but I always enjoy shooting and that's kind of why I feel like I've kept with it. Yeah. Good. I just, to me, I don't see like you and your brother, like, like cutting up and goofing off as I see as much as I see a lot of people, including myself doing it matches. So that's why I ask, like, if you guys are like having fun at matches or if just having fun looks different on you than it does me. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll joke around sometimes. And, you know, if I, if we have a good squad and the energy's right, I mean, shooting is going to be fun if you really have a good squad and or if you're with your friends or something, but um, yeah, I just, I just enjoy shooting and almost everything about it. But I do, I do take a very serious approach to like when I'm walking stages or when I'm about to shoot, um, maybe more than other people, but yeah, I still tr always try my best to enjoy it. I don't think I've ever shot good and not enjoyed the match or performed well and not enjoyed the match. Fair. Fair. Jeff, there's a bunch of old people at matches like you included. So like he's squatted with a bunch of old people. Like you don't, if he, if all of his friends were there, he'd probably look a lot different. Like if like friends, his age probably look a lot different. He's like, these old people are weird. Like, like he's, he's bald. Like he's bald. And he has, <laughs> he's talking about his kid all the time. Like what, what is, we're talking about follicle checks. What are we talking about? Follicle checks here. Yeah. It's that's, that's still rough. Uh, so I, yeah, I, I, I think, uh, yeah, I, I might look a little different if there were a bunch of 20-year-olds running around on the squad versus a bunch of old people like us that he has to hang out with. Fair enough. Fair enough. Is that true? Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I, I haven't really been on a squad with a whole bunch of young people. I mean, that's true. There's, It's at the level that you shoot at, it just, I mean, general, there's not a ton of – people your age in the sport so what is that what is that like being in the sport and being basically the the young the young kid in the in the the shooting community um i don't know like i i haven't been able to experience it older so i can't like go back and say like oh well when i was young i was looking at shooting differently i feel like it's kind of just what i'm experiencing right now i'm having fun i'm you know, it's, it's not like I can't talk to people because they're, they're older than me or I can't get along with them. Yeah. Like, I, I'm, you know, it is what it is. It, it, I don't like the fact that a lot of my, my friends back at home, um, don't shoot. It's, it's not like, like, yeah, 
I, I do want to be with them, but you know, I'm fine doing this because I have a lot of joy shooting. Hmm. Okay. I got, I got one more question and it doesn't have to be long, but we got, I got to ask. So your dad has been in the middle of political issues with USPSA and, and you got, you and your brother have, have stayed out of it as far as I, as far as I've seen entirely. Do you, are you just kind of, I just don't want to mess with that stuff. I just want to compete. I just want to shoot and whatever the, the board wants to do, whatever that wants to do fine. Or like, does that get into your skin? Like, how do you feel about all that stuff? Um, so the, the politics that my dad gets into is about finances mm-hmm. as that is his profession. He's a, he's an accountant and that's what he does for a living. So he does reports on that and that's kind of, and that's all he does. Um, I, I don't get, at least I hope looked at any differently by the board or um, I don't really affect it. It doesn't have really any effect on my wife and I don't really care what he does um, with it. Um, You know, there are, there are some, some problems with what's going on in the board, but I mean, I'm, I'm a shooter. I'm there to shoot and, you know, I could care less if limited optics becomes division or, you know, how the board collects more money, but you know, with what it is uh, at the end of the day, I just shoot and I would just, if anything, I would just like to see USBSA become a little bit more like IPSC. That's kind of all I want on the political side of things, but I, I just stay out of it. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's kind of what I thought, but I was, I had to ask because yeah. it's fair enough. Obviously interesting. Well, Scott, thank you for coming on. It's been a, you've given us a lot of your time, so we appreciate it. You're probably going to yeah. get, you're probably, it's early for you. You're probably going to play games or something online. Yeah. We're going, we're going to bed, but you're probably stay up for another few hours. Dry fire and get better and kick our butts even more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Till 1 a.m. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. It was good to good to talk with you. Uh, yeah. You shooting Area 3? I am. I'm going to be shooting Area 3, um, the Missouri match, Iowa, and then Ironside Nationals and Nipsic Nationals. Those are going to be my matches for the year. Okay. So. Nice. Well, we will definitely see you at at least a few of those. Yeah, so. for sure. Yeah, thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, thank you for having me. That was a good one. All right. Peace.